I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I'm Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. And Jess, we we made it. We're back in the States again after our both of our trips to Ireland to watch our fighting Irish. Uh Really destroy Navy, but what what a trip that was. I know you had a great time. I mean, I'm not the social media person that that posts stuff everywhere. You are, and man, looks like you and your boyfriend Lee just had an absolute ball there. I feel like I'm riding such a high right now coming off of this trip, Mike. It was great. We went on this trip with On Location, which is like the hospitality travel group that right. does a lot of the travel packages for Games like this, games that, you know, like big NFL games or the Aer Lingus College Football Classic, which is what they're they're calling this game in Dublin now. Um, and they took us on a, an entire tour of the West Coast of Ireland for the like first three days we were there. Then we came back to Dublin, um, had a great time in Dublin. I am a humongous fan of the entire, everything I saw. Everything was amazing. The game itself was spectacular. We can probably talk a little bit more in detail about that later, yeah. but... Mike, I had such a great time in Ireland. What was your experience like? Well, I mean, it didn't start off great. You, now, you got there like Sunday or Monday for the, for the, yeah, you Monday. were there the entire yeah. week. I was supposed to leave Monday afternoon out of Chicago at like 3.50. And I got there and immediately when I checked in, they said the flight was delayed till 9.50. So six Ooh, hours right tough. out of the gate being delayed. Information I would have loved to have had before I went to the airport. Got to 9.50. No plane, no plane, no plane. At midnight, as we all sat there from, because you got to be there early for international Yeah, you have flights, to check right? in like two hours early. So yeah. we were there at 1.30. I was there until midnight. Then they Oof. canceled the flight. Oof. We had to go get all our bags from the baggage Oof. claim. And then I just drove back to South Bend, which was an hour and a half. I got back to South Bend at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Oh, my and God. And then slept for a little bit hung out with Chris and the dogs, and then did the whole thing over again the next day because Chris didn't come till Thursday. So uh-huh. that was – it was a rough start. But once I got there, I mean, I got to golf twice at a place called Castle Rock and then Ardglass, and I've never golfed Lynx courses before. Uh, you know, just how I always watch the Open. Windy, cold, yeah. rain, and pot bunkers. I got to yeah. play in all that. So, Ooh. I mean, it was, it was a dream come true. Uh, I left, I made sure I used the Golic Family Foundation golf balls out there. So when I <laughs> lost them, 
people from Ireland would find them and maybe look into our foundation a little bit. We brought one with us too. We weren't golfing, but we actually bring it with us on trips uh, to like step on when our feet hurt because we walked like oh, yeah, 15 yeah. miles every day. Great foot massager, the Golic See, Foundation Golf There you ball. go. So we, had, we had one in our hotel room also. Versatile use. I love that. But <laughs> I mean, the game was great. And, and like you said, we'll, we'll get into the game, but just Dublin, where I was in Belfast for a bit as well. I mean, it is it is a beautiful, beautiful place. The event Friday night uh, that I didn't know you were at. Um, I was, yes. Um, you were hosting it. Which, La Kayla was called, which means coming together. Um, well, I had never seen Riverdance before. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know. My wife and I were talking about it, and that we had seen a better show than to watch those what look like kids to me uh, doing river dance and just how good they are. And Martin Short joined them at one yes. point as well, yeah. which was, I didn't know he was like a Notre Dame person, but apparently he is a big Notre Dame fan and goes to games sometimes too. Well, he had, he had two sons that went to Notre Dame. One. I uh, didn't know that. I didn't either. I got to talk to him a little bit before where he said I could call him Marty, which was really cool. Um, <laughs> because, I, listen, I'm a huge fan of his, Father of the Bride, with him and Steve Martin I love. Uh, please tell me you've seen that movie. I haven't. But I, I do watch Only Murderers in the Building, which is okay, one of my okay. favorite that's shows. Okay, that's his latest. That, that's cool. Yeah. But, yeah. And, like, had, Lee's, he, Lee's mom is obsessed with him. So when we told her that you were at this event with Martin Short, she was delighted. Such a nice guy. I got to talk with him uh, backstage for a while. And very, very cool. But, yeah, he had two sons that went to Notre Dame. One finished up uh, with Mike, so I don't know if they ever knew each other. But oh. I didn't realize that as either. Uh, either. But what a great event. I mean, Dublin puts on, you know, a great event where everybody hung out in the Temple Bar area. It's kind of like the way you can walk around, kind of like Bourbon Street, where you can walk around with your drinks as long as you don't act like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> it, it's all cool. And, and what was there? Just under 40,000. They set a record for Americans traveling internationally to a singular sporting event. This was a record, which was a record back in 2012 when Mike and Jake were on the team and we came over for this game, and they broke the record with close to 40,000 people. I mean, it was crazy there. It was. It was so interesting. There were a lot more Navy fans there than I expected. I went to the Navy pep rally on Friday, and there were you did. A, ton, a ton of Navy fans there. Yes, I, and their mascot was there. Um, I, I waved a little Navy pom-pom, but don't tell anyone. Um, wow. there were a lot of Navy, but it was probably like, if I had to guess, maybe, maybe like three quarters Irish fans, one quarter Navy fans, maybe that's being a little generous, but walking around Dublin, Notre Dame fans just completely took over the city. Like they shut down an entire main road on Saturday called Dame street and turned it into Notre Dame Notre, street yeah, yeah. and put up these big banners all over the buildings and hung them across the street. And it was, it was kind of like a tailgate hub right next to temple bar, which is like you said, the main like pub area touristy, like everyone, all the actual Irish people we met were like, don't go to temple bar. It's a tourist yeah. trap. And we were like, we are tourists. We want to see all of the touristy stuff. Yep. <laughs> so we had a few pints there, um, but it was great. And the stadium was walking distance from the center of Dublin, which is really cool. It's where they play 
the um like the Irish rugby games and the Irish soccer, you know, like the national team plays there. Um so it's a really big stadium. I think it seats like 55-ish thousand. The game was sold out and it yeah. looked like every seat was full. Um and it was a really just interesting like it's it's not, you know, it's not a football stadium, but it, it worked really well. Like one of the end zones is kind of open, like the way like Heinz Field is kind of open on right. one side and then really tall sections on others, like the, the long sides of the field looking down. So I, I saw you at the game. The only time I saw you last week, um, you were right in the in the front area. Pretty good seats. You and Chris. Yeah, I was in the I was in the stands. Just so everybody knows, my wife and I were in the stands. Jess was in the press box on the field. <laughs> you got all kind of sway and pull going on there. You could you well, you had carte blanche at that stadium. But you talked to Martin Short the night before. So I think we're we're even. I, 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 I got I, and I will say like that was probably the only other time I've ever been uh on the field for a Notre Dame game was the Yankee Stadium game, which was like six years ago. And my interpretation then is the same as now. It's very cool to be on the same level as the players. You get a really good sense of how much bigger everyone actually yep. is. But it's really hard to follow the game. It's Horrible. almost impossible. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep. You're so I had to watch right. the extended highlights yesterday. <laughs> so Because when I go on the sideline, I make sure I keep moving so I can be right yeah. in front of, yeah. the, uh, of the action. But you're standing a lot as well. Everyone's you know, taller you, than me, though. You're you're yeah, tall. You can see stuff. True. I can't see over anyone. Like the shortest guy on the team is five inches taller than me. Yeah, yeah, that does make it difficult. But you know, you mentioned Martin Short, and people always ask me, man, you know, when I do an event because I got to MC that event, and so I obviously got to, got to hang out with Martin Short, which was a cool thing. And people always say, oh man, like when I when I golfed in that Tahoe event. Oh, what athlete do you want to meet or talk to? And I'm like, I don't give a damn about the athletes. You know what? I either played with them, played against them, or yeah. had them on my show over the last two decades. Or like played with their dad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. God, I hate you. <laughs> um, but I, I said, I'm more impressed with the entertainers. Like I golf yeah. with Ray Romano. I golf with Miles Teller, Chase Crawford. So here getting to meet Martin Short. But before that, the night before, when Chris and I, my wife and I went to a pub, there were people we knew, like Brady Quinn was there, Dan Patrick was there, but mm -hmm. Will Ferrell was there. So Ooh. got to hang out and talk with Will Ferrell. And how cool is it is I didn't I went up to kind of introduce myself again to him and didn't have to. He said, Oh, hey Mike. Wow. He said, I remember being on the show with you and Mike Greenberg uh, uh you know, back back a few years ago. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Will Ferrell remembers that. I, I was like I mean, a kid in the candy you store. You're like one of the most famous sports radio hosts of all time, Mike. Yeah, but I mean, he's he in another you. world as far as yeah, popularity and actor. Oh, There's no, no I, way you were actually surprised by that. Oh, I was stunned. Jess, I was stunned. Because, you know, I, I just don't think of myself that way. And you certainly don't, don't well, you, you know, let me think That's of myself think that of way. That's how I think of you. Because you always want to, you know, call me old and everything. <laughs> But I, I dug that. I loved it. That's and then, great. And then we got to the game. Jess, I have never seen people more excited for, like, a, a short swing pass. I mean, oh Sam Hartman threw yes. this short little pass that was complete, and we all thought he invented football. I mean, <laughs> it was hilarious uh, because we, we have been so – quarterback being able to throw starved for a while at Notre Dame. Well, yeah, 
It's it's like court. It's yes, but it's also like we've had a lot of quarterbacks that can throw but can't throw swing passes, right? Like <laughs> we've had a lot of quarterbacks that seem to have like swing pass yips. Like I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but you're absolutely right about that. He is a extremely uh, vertical downfield passing game quarterback. He looked awesome, uh, just in in more ways than one. He's got a rib around his neck, Mike. And he, he played really a really good game. He had four touchdowns, was a 19 for 22, 266 yards, something like that. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, solid he had a monster game. game. You know, Caleb uh, Williams, uh, presumptive, you know, the, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and favorite to win it again. They played, uh, who was it? They played Fresno State, I believe. And won South, like South uh, San Jose State. Yeah. San Jose State, I'm sorry. And they won. It was close early, and they ended up blowing them out. And basically – Caleb Williams and Sam Hartman's stats were the same. You know, four touchdowns, 250, 270-some yards, great completion percentage. And I know a lot of people are like, my God, people settled on it was Navy. And I get it. I know. Listen, all you can do is play against a team that's out there. And there were question marks from from the throwing ability of a quarterback for Notre Dame, and now those seem to be answered. You know, we ran the ball well. We played really good defense. And I know it was Navy, but what I was happy about was they threw the ball a decent amount in this game, even though they were in control of the game. Mm-hmm. And I and I talked about that before the game on, on a pregame show out there. And I think that was smart because you can do all you want in practice and preseason and, and uh, preseason practices, but you can't simulate the game speed all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he threw the ball a decent amount in this game just to start to get a good relationship. I think he hit eight different receivers and or running backs. So to kind of get that relationship going and that feel going of quarterback receiver relationship as the season, as the games obviously are going to start to get a little tougher. Yeah. But I think, you know, for, for people that are saying it's only Navy, this is how Notre Dame should play against Navy. Yes. This is what the final yes. score should always be against Navy. And it's often not. So I do think that, yeah, okay, it's Navy, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And that's a good thing. And it's, I think it's important to get excited about, when the team does what they're supposed to do because why else would we i've seen a lot of fans like well it was navy and it's like yeah but we watch college football because we want our team to win right so like enjoy the win let's the next game is on saturday and then we can talk about that one when it's over but everyone enjoy the, the vibes are as good as they've ever been right now for notre dame and for their quarterback let's enjoy them well, we can. The other thing, Mike, is the first game of the season. It's in Ireland. There's a time zone difference. There's a long flight right. for these guys. They were ready to play. There have been countless times in my lifetime that Notre Dame has come out in the first game of the season and not looked ready to play and just been completely flat. And we don't need to rehash all of those. But this was not one of those. So that is another another win in my book. The team was ready to play. They played like they were supposed to play. I think they should enjoy the win. And it was a, a fun experience for all the fans who were able to go. I, I completely agree. Again, you can only play who's out there. And they did what they were supposed to because last – and that's the one of the next steps for Marcus Freeman is – because last year you lose to Marshall and you lose to Stanford. You know, two teams you should have beaten. So the next step is beat the teams you're supposed to and beat them comfortably. And that's what Notre Dame did. So that's all you can really ask in that situation. So – they took care of business. I want to ask you a quick, we're going to stay on college football here, ask you a question as we may have more expansion, the ACC talking about uh, Cal, SMU, and Stanford. There may be a vote at some point at, at the taping of this. There hasn't been a call yet uh, about that with the schools and the ACC, but that's supposed to happen 
uh, fairly soon. So we may get some teams added there. But I wonder your thought on what Jim Harbaugh and, and said and then Nick Saban had kind of said and echoed as well is they are in, in really what's changing around college football. Both those guys brought up revenue sharing where, mm-hmm. hey, the money we're making, let's share it with the players. You know, Nick Saban even used the word unionize for players. So what do you think? Because that is going to change the game. Now you're talking about union. Now you're talking about a CBA with players and the schools and or the NCAA. Do you think that that is something that that could possibly happen? I don't know. It feels inevitable that something will change. And and the Jim Harbaugh thing is a total example of like the the worst guy, you know, just made a good point, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, he's also, you know, he's he's kind of at war with the NCAA right now over this three game suspension because he bought some recruit a hamburger or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I know this is there's probably a little bit of that to it. But I think what they're saying is is ultimately right, which is that the players should be getting a bigger slice of the pie because they like the reason we went to Ireland was to watch the players play in the game and for them to not be making a meaningful amount from their participation in the sport is is kind of insane to me and it's also like if you talk to anyone who wasn't an American college football fan in Ireland it was insane to them too it is a it is a business model that makes very little sense to anyone um but I don't exactly know how it happens and I think that is like the biggest challenge but we've heard people like Jack Swarbrick talk about potentially like the D1 programs becoming licensed teams that are affiliated with the university versus the way that they are, you know, quote unquote, student athletes now. Um, so that remains to be seen. But I think at least the, at least the big names in the sport seem to be saying the right things at times. And um, hopefully they, they mean it and can actually impact the way that the sport is run in the future. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting when I agreed with something Jim Harbaugh said. I know. And I think it's something that if it does happen, (laughs) is only going to happen if football separates from the rest of the sports. Right. And, and I wish that would have already happened to save the the PAC 12 from going to the big 10 and all that travel. And maybe now some from the PAC 12 going to the ACC as well. But the biggest hurdle to me, Jeff, we know this is always about money, right? So NFL owners have been used to revenue sharing with players and give, so giving, and it's always been about what's the percentage, 50%, 48%, whatever. Right. So who we're dealing with here is since there really is no NCAA group, you're going to have to unionize players. They're going to have to have a head of that union and they're going to have to deal with a CBA and you're going to deal with the university presidents, right? Because that's who's running you know, college football is the presidents are making the decision. And here's the biggest hurdle I see, Jess, is all of a sudden the university presidents, which are used to getting all the money, and even with NIL out there, they're still getting all the money. Restaurants and, and car dealerships and whoever are paying the players, not the school. But if this goes down the the unionized road and the CBA road, all of a sudden those presidents are going to have to understand that a percentage of their revenue is coming out of their pocket. They have had 100% of it, and now whatever percentage is going to go to the players, that's something that they're not used to, and that's something that I think is going to be a big hurdle for them. I think it's a ways off. We have time. Let's enjoy the season. We just had week zero. We got week one coming up, which we'll certainly talk about. But coming up next, I want to go to the NFL. And and what, at the taping of this show – uh, a bad day. It, it, it's a tough day. 
for players in the NFL. We'll explain next on Golden Consmetti. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Jess, this was the day I always, uh, again, as we tape this, it's it's a cut day. And the biggest difference had been normally you cut you know, starting after the first week, each week you cut X amount of players. Now they cut, they have 90 on the roster and they cut all the way to 53 in one day. Um, and that, that, that's tough. Uh, being cut, the cut day is already tough. I had to go with that or, or live through the experience of am I or am I not going to get cut? And I know, in all honesty, I, I don't think just a lot of people care because it's a lot of back end of the roster guys. But just imagine... Whatever your job is, that you've been doing it since eight years old, and it's basically all you've done, right? And now you're looking to make it to the highest level of whatever your job is, and you're now told you weren't good enough, right, to make it to in, into whatever you have been doing your entire life. I mean, just that, how that, because that's the only way I can try and help people understand it a little bit, because they don't care about player 45 through 53, you know, they, they really don't. But if you put it in the context of a man, put yourself in those shoes of something you love and then you not being, being told you're not good enough to play in this league right now is very, very difficult. I've always wondered like logistically, how does that even work? Right. It's it, like you said, it's so many guys at once. Are do you just pack up your bags and go to the airport and where do you go? Like what, what do you do afterwards? Well, it, it is different this year because of that. Um, Cause normally you're brought in to talk to the GM or to the coach and they talk to you and then we've, we've seen it on hard get, knocks. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but you know, I've, I've also lived it uh, as well. Mike, my son has lived it. I mean, Mike got cut three times with the saints twice. One time he got cut during the summer. So he didn't even make it to training camp. But another time with the Saints and one time with Pittsburgh, he made it to the last cut. You know, the final few guys that are, that are going to get cut, he made it to there. And, you know, it's, it's nerve-wracking. And, unfortunately, you know, he got the call to go see the coach and bring your playbook and when you know what's going on. And it's, it's just so depressing. My – well, my rookie year in Houston, I was a 10th-round draft pick in 1985 by Houston. I broke my ankle. My first year, so I was on IR. So it was the next year when we're getting toward the end of, of camp and, and to the last cuts. I thought I had played well enough to be on the team, but you never know, right? You know, you just, you just never know. My, my late father-in-law, Ken Hansen, God rest his soul, he, Jess, called the Houston Oilers office, and I don't know who he talked to there, a, a secretary or, or, or a receptionist, something, and acted like this was the day before the cuts, acted like he was a reporter and because of deadlines or whatever, he gave some story that if he could just get the names now, he wouldn't print them until the cuts were made, but he just needed, he told this whole story to where this person gave him the cuts. So he, yes. So he called me 
and say, congratulations, you made the team. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, this is my father-in-law. You playing some kind of prank on me? You don't know. And he's like, and he explained what he did. And, I'm like, and I still was like, I don't believe they gave you the names. He's like, and he gave me the list of the guys that were going to get cut. And I wasn't on that list. And sure enough, those were the guys. So I had found out the day before the cuts happened that <laughs> I wasn't crazy. going to be cut. <laughs> but I still had a tough time believing it. But he did. He had the names and, and said, you're not getting cut. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I don't think anyone loves me that much. That's the most incredible thing I've ever heard, Mike. I mean, what if he was wrong? What if you came in the next day and found out that they gave him a dummy list or something like that? Yeah, I would I would add some strong words with him. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's for sure. But that's I mean, incredible. That, what a story. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is. It's tough. Again, some of it these is. guys it are sounds very depressing. Oh, some of these guys, just their dreams are over. I mean, they're done. You know, they now what's good is you have the USFL and the XFL. If you want to go play that to try and keep your dream alive, you know, I didn't have that when I played. You can go up and play yeah. in Canada, but there was nothing else. So for a lot of them, it's it's the end of the road. So again, something they've been doing for and working for since eight years old. So it is it is a tough time. So everybody's going to get down to 53, and then there's <coughs> 16-man practice squads as well. Um, some of the other things going on in the NFL, what – Everybody's making, I, I'm curious your thought, everybody's making a big deal, not only of Trey Lance getting traded to Dallas, but the fact that Jerry Jones and company did not talk to, talk to Dak Prescott about it. Everybody's saying, oh, what does this mean for Dak now that they brought in Trey Lance? Did you have an issue with Dallas not telling Dak? No, I don't think it means anything for Dak. Dak isn't going to get benched for Trey Lance, right? Like, I, I think they're bringing in a, a potentially high upside backup in case Dak gets hurt again. But I don't think that they're going to replace Dak. They just, like, re-signed him not that long ago to a new contract. I, I, I don't... I don't know why they would need... To, it's not quite the same as the Aaron Rodgers situation, which I also can see why, you know, the front office didn't talk to him before they drafted a quarterback, which, of course cause like the years of unrest in green Bay, because it's not really their job to do that. Although, you know, it obviously hurt his feelings. Um, but like, they're making a, a decision there that is kind of for the whole organization. And it, I don't know. I don't know that to me, it doesn't seem like they need to get his blessing to bring in someone who's going to back him up. Not even base. It's going to be third string. This right, has no right. effect on deck. Anybody that, I can't believe people think that this has an effect on Dak Prescott. This is a, this is a, a taking a flyer only costs you a fourth rounder to see if he can turn into anything and maybe be a viable backup or, or maybe get maybe, some picks and trade him to somewhere else. And that's yeah. also like that. Why would Dak need to give you his blessing for that either? Yeah. I just, but, but I, has Dak a, said anything about it? No, I mean, so and, this and is just think projection then. To think that it's it's anything that has to do with Dak, I think, is absolutely ridiculous. So, it's listen, weird, I yeah. go more on the 49ers side where listen, John Lynch has done a great job putting together a Super Bowl roster. Mm -hmm. But they blew it on this pick. They just oh, yeah. did. You know, I mean, you, you gave away three, three picks, first-round picks, and you saw what Miami turned those into. Oh, a yeah. draft pick of it was Jalen Waddle, then Waddell. a couple of <laughs> trades with Tyree Kill and yeah. Bradley Chubb. I mean – that worked out well for them. This was a horrible mistake by the 49ers and, and John Lynch. But basically how they get, they're going to get, get out of it is the fact that they have a Super Bowl roster and they have a seventh-round quarterback who actually hit in Brock Purdy, or at least 
hit last year. We'll see what this year brings. And they have Sam Darnold uh, for the backup there. And staying on quarterbacks for a second, we do have the last rookie that was now named to be the starter. So we have the three rookie first-rounders starting. Uh, Bryce Young for Carolina, C.J. Stroud for the Texans, Anthony Richardson for the uh, the uh, Indianapolis Colts. So we'll see how that goes. So young quarterback, I'm interested in your take on this because this is like you and me, Jess. Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Matthew Stafford is 35 years old, quarterback for the L.A. Rams. And his wife said on a podcast that Matthew is having a tough time kind of integrating and and having conversation and getting to know the younger players on the team. And one of the reasons she said is, is nowadays when, when the players come in from the lot or in from a meeting or in from watching film or in from practice, they go right to their phones. And everybody's sitting at their locker, looking at their phone, catching up on what they missed. Where And I'll, I'll say, listen, when, when we did have phones when I was young, Jess, before you start there. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody hung out in the locker room and talked and chatted and got to know one another. Not, and everybody didn't get along all the time. Uh, but you did. And, and Matthew Stafford, his wife, is saying now it's difficult for him. He actually had the equipment manager make up a book of the young players with their picture and their name so he could he could get to know them a oh little bit. But uh, that, this is that, absurd. So I, I thought like, of you and me this in is, this. This is absurd. But we do a show every week. We have plenty of things we can talk about. Matt Stafford is 35. Like, he's a young guy. I work with almost exclusively 35-year-old men, and I am a, a, a woman in my 20s, and we have a lot of things to talk about. And also this, like, oh, young people just want to look at their phones all the time. Every time I go out to dinner with my my grandma and my dad, they're on their phones the entire time. My grandma sits there at dinner and just plays solitaire for like five hours straight, doesn't talk to anyone. Old oh, people really? love their phones. Yes, she is addicted to to her Android solitaire. It is mind-boggling. Oh. <laughs> she just sits there and plays solitaire. Like, this is absurd. Him being 35 and acting like this is like this massive generational gap between him and these players that are like, you know, probably 22, 21. Like, I'm sorry. My best friend is 16 years older than me, and we have many things to talk about. Just do put in the work. I'm glad someone made a little book for him. Study the book. Get to know people. Just be normal. This is this is one of the most absurd stories I've ever. Really? Heard. So you're so you're getting on him and basically saying, get over it and get to know. Get him, over huh? it. Go like if meet meet people at the thing that they're interested in. Like you're the leader of the team. Figure it out. Well, he said, uh, his wife said, his wife Kelly said they tried to have a team dinner at his house, but they were, uh, players were there for a little while and then they wanted to go to the club. Well, maybe he's just a loser then. Maybe he needs to have oh. a more fun house to go to. Maybe they need to play better music and have better food and better conversation. Someone needs to bring a pack of Monopoly deal. Then everyone will be involved, Mike. Wow. Okay. Together. I, I knew you'd rip the old guy, but I didn't think you'd go down the road that much. Wow. <laughs> Wow, you do you, I mean, you if, hate you're, old if your parties I don't. I I hate I hate children. I love old people. If your party that stinks that bad that everyone just wants to go to the club, throw a better party or take them to the club. Maybe that's where you're going to bond with them. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just yeah. an idea. He's at 35. I'm sorry, you're not that old. Like this is not like some massive gulf between you and and Gen Z. Like you're just not that old, Matt Stafford. I, I have to say when I was my wife and I were walking in Temple bar area we chose not to go into places if the music was too loud 
Okay, same, actually, because I, I was meeting up with a bunch of people I haven't seen in a few years. You want to you have a conversation? And I was like, I can't hear anything in Right. Here. But it was like, it was like local Irish musicians playing like covers of the Cranberries, right? It was like really loud, like fiddle music, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I was like, maybe I'll take my pint outside for this so yeah, I can talk yeah. to my friends. All right. All right. I just had to give you a <laughs> See, chance. We have to that report. in common. We have that in common, Mike. 30 years difference. Give, we both don't I like just had music. to give you a chance to rip old people. Is there a name for, for somebody who hates old people? I think it's you just know, being like, ageist. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're an ageist. That's what you are. Fine. Yeah, and I, you know what? I feel I'm for Matt Stafford's dad. an ageist. Uh, whatever. Whatever. All right, coming up next, uh, speaking of the younger generation and people in your wheelhouse, we got a couple of uh, athletes out there who are, who are doing their thing. One, getting a little uh, feisty on the court as well. We'll talk about that next. All right, Jess, a couple of our younger uh, great athletes out there uh, have done some things I, I wouldn't mind chatting about. One in the U.S. Open, which is just starting. We're just getting going in the tennis in the U.S. Open and in gymn- gymnastics with Simone Biles and what she's doing. Let's, let's start with tennis. Uh, Coco Goff had her first match on Monday night, I believe it was. And I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not going to lie, Jess. I was, I was still feeling the effects of <laughs> travel. Lagged. <laughs> I saw her losing early in this, didn't get to see the whole thing, but uh, she got a little feisty, didn't she? It was really interesting. So I watched this entire match on my flight, which was delayed, and I was I was like in twilight the entire time, like half asleep, half awake. It felt like a, a fever dream, but Coco Goff, who's a, a really high seed in the tournament, was playing against a German player, Laura Siegmund. Um, who was playing really, really well. And Coco Goff is 19 years old. She's like a a child prodigy tennis player. Um, And it was a really, really long match. And at one point, Coco Goff was upset because Siegmund was taking too long of a break in between her serves. And there were a couple times where she was like ready to serve. She's got a great serve. And the player was just not ready to go, her opponent. So she went up to the umpire and said, like, you need to pay attention to this. I didn't say anything the first two games. And now, like, I'm I'm fed up. Like, pay attention. She's not ready. I pay, play at a medium pace. And it, when it's her serve, she can do whatever she wants. And when it's my serve, she needs to be ready. And then afterwards, the umpire finally said something. Uh, and the entire crowd stood up and, and applauded Coco Goff. They were all on her side, all rooting for her, and all, I think, probably agreeing like, hmm, this is this is taking a, a really long time. What is going on here? This, this should not be this long of a match. So Coco Goff ended up winning the second set um, and then winning the third set, and it was in very exciting fashion. But then her opponent, Ziegman, got really mad and went up to the ref and was like, oh, so I'm not allowed to go to my towel anymore? I can't even, like, I've been ready the whole time. And the umpire was like, no. So it was it was very dramatic. And then at the end, apparently Ziegman didn't shake the umpire's hand before she went off the court, um, according to the New York Post. So uh, it was very exciting. And then finally, the, the on-the-court interview afterwards, um, the interviewer asked Coco Goff, like, what was it like playing in this match? This was like such an intense match. What was it like? And she was like, slow and the entire audience stood up and cheered it was really really great so a very exciting start to the u.s open yeah she ended up winning at three six six two six four and i agree with her if 
if it's your serve, you get to kind of dictate the pace. And I yeah. know if, 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 if you're the opponent, you, sometimes you want to play that game uh, trying to slow it down. But at some point, I agree, the official has to step in and say, listen, it's her serve. you got to go a little more at her pace. And, you know, you, you don't want to jump somebody right away. You want to give them a little bit of time. Okay, we'll give you go to your towel, all right, you're going to do it. Now, wait a minute, you're doing it too much. You know, you got to right. get back. You got to get ready. And, and I agree with what Coco said. When it's her serve, she can go at the pace she wants. When it's mine, I want I want my pace. And, and like right. I said, you can try and affect it a little bit, little gamesmanship and stuff like that. But at some point, you know, the umpire does have to step in and didn't hear and Coco Goff uh, let, let them know about it. So that was pretty cool. So she moves on again, a 19 year old. And yeah, now she's we awesome. Yeah. She is awesome and a bit fun to watch. And now we, we get to the really, really old person in their sport, Simone Biles, all of 26 <laughs> years old. I mean, the aged, decrepit 26-year-old. It is amazing. She won her eighth U.S. championship, her eighth. She's, and she's the oldest to do it since this organization started back in 1936. The oldest to do it at 26 years old. She won her first one a decade ago when she was 16. But I, her winning didn't surprise me, Jess. But the, now I know the, gym, the gymnast started at a very, very young age. But, man, mm -hmm. I didn't realize 26 was as old as it was in this sport. It, it, it is absolutely mind-boggling when you're watching the Olympics and you realize how – I mean, I kind of had this feeling watching Coco Goff last night because I just – like, I remember being – in my, you know, 19, 20, that age and being, you know, familiar with other athletes, my age and being like, wow, like that's really young. But now that I'm a lot older than that, I'm like, that is insane. Like, I can't imagine playing in the U S open in front of thousands of people in front of Michelle Obama and Barack Obama as a 19 year old on ABC I, or ESPN. I can't imagine being Simone Biles and winning eight world championships by the time I'm 26. Like that is astonishing. But when you watch the Olympics and you see how young all of these athletes are, it blows your mind. And the fact that she's been able to do it this long, I think puts her firmly in the Mount Rushmore or, or Pantheon, whatever you want to call it of like best athletes of all time. She is just, just so much better than everyone else at the sport and has been better for such a long time. It is just crazy. I mean, you look at, from the hardware standpoint, we always talk about like what Michael Phelps did in the Olympics and now or the world championships are combined. Katie Ledecky and swimming kind of doing the same thing. Simone Biles has 25 world championship medals and 18 of those are gold. So you're right. She's putting herself in that rarefied air. And this is coming off when, you know, she caught some praise and criticism for pulling herself out of events at the last Olympics, you know, citing mental health reasons, had the what they call the twisties, you know, struggling the way she did. As I said, there was praise and, and there was and there was people that were like didn't really buy it so much that they just thought she wasn't as good anymore and this was her way of getting out of it. And the thing I love <laughs> Oh, how about it? The thing Super I love the best is hearing her talk, Jess, is and this is so true because when, because I cover, cover football the most, when you hear when a team wins a Super Bowl and you like talk to the coach and you're like, oh man, how great is this? And they're like, well, yeah, it's great, but you know, we're behind every other team because we had to play the last game of the season. We have to speed up our work for next season. It's like you can't sit and enjoy what you just did 
because you have to move on to the next thing. And Simone mm-hmm. Miles had said, that's what I was doing. You know, from a, a young age, I would be yeah. successful in something. And instead of enjoying it, I was like, okay, what's the next event that I have to win because of where I am? I, I, and you never get to enjoy it. And I love hearing her talk now about, I, I've learned to enjoy it, you know, because she's the old lady of the thing at 26, which still blows my mind. But I love where she is, and she has to be as well, where she is in her headspace of saying, you know what, I'm going to enjoy this. This was this was an accomplishment. I'm going to enjoy it, you know, stop, period, end of paragraph before I move on to the next thing. And I, I think that is a huge thing for her. She's obviously still, you know, one of the best, if not the best in the world, and get that chance to show it at the Olympics next year. But as we have talked more and more about athletes and, and the mental part of this thing, seeing where she is now and how she's treating her sport is really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. And it, this also makes me want to go be the best pickleball player that I can be. Like, I, I maybe I'll start taking lessons, right? Maybe I can be a 29-year-old pickleball phenom, Mike. Is it too late for me? Is it? Yes, it's too, too late? late for you, Jess, <clears throat> without question. But what I will ask, have you gotten mad like Coco Golf? Now, there's no umpire in pickleball where, where when you, you umpire yourselves. Have yeah. you yes. gotten into any scrapes? with any people you have been playing? A hundred percent. Really? What? Uh, we, we did like a pickleball match with the Levitard show as part of like the sponsored thing. And one of the, one of the point we, we won, I was partnered with Juju Gotti. We won 11 to one. One of the, the only point that the other team got, I knew at the time, I'm pretty sure that was in. And sure enough, when they replayed the video months later and we saw it, I was right. And at the time I, yelled and screamed at everyone there and told them they were all wrong. And um, that didn't make it on video, probably for the best, but I was right, Mike, because I, I don't like the feeling of knowing something and everyone else thinking they know better when I know I had the best view of that ball. I knew exactly where I put that pickleball, Mike. So let me ask you this. Yeah. You obviously won 11 to one, so it wasn't really a contest. When this particular point happened, what was the score? I think it was still only like four to zero or five to zero. So all right, so it like wasn't. A, a, if no, it were like, if it was like nine to nothing, would you have no. not screamed and about it and let it go? No, I still would have because I really, I think, I think a shutout is the best thing you can do defensively in any sport, right? Like when Navy kicked that sad field goal yeah. Yeah. on Saturday night, that made me truly upset. It was a great night, but I really wanted the shutout and. When you have an opportunity to shut out the other team, you have to fight for that opportunity just as much as you fought for the opportunity to put a lot of points up on them. So, yeah, I was not happy about it, to say the least. All right. Uh, I'm sure no I've one heard, else remembers it, though. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard some of the, you know, some of the louder people in pickleball have been the older people like my oh, age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Complaining out. Yeah. Have, have, you, have you played many matches against people you didn't know, like just a pickup game at the park? Yeah, we have. And usually they don't end well. Like they, usually we get smoked by like 75 year olds and they, they scream at us. How, the how bad time. is that for you? I mean, that's got to really piss you off. It does. Um, I blame my partner. Um, and you know, that's, that's just how it is. 
If I were to, if me and my wife were to beat you and whoever you play with, how mad would you my, be? My boyfriend. Oh, I would. Oh, Lee. Okay. You know, but you're you're a former NFL player, so I could convince 60, myself that it's not that I'm bad. Sixty, Jess. Sixty. You're I could like, convince. You're like fifteen. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I could convince myself that it's not that bad, but I would be I would be pissed mainly because of the bragging rights, obviously, but. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Pickleball yeah. has gotten me really into tennis now. So as I'm watching Coco Golf last night, I don't know tennis etiquette. I barely know the rules. I get game set match confused all the time. It's it's not something I grew up watching, but I was very invested in this match, Mike. And I I don't know what the rules are, but the entire time as I was watching her, I was like, she's right. She is right. This woman is taking too long. Let's get this show on the road. So all right. Her. Well, Standing I, up for I, I, I'm kind of nervous to play any sport against you now, just for what may happen uh, to to our you know our partner relationship here on the show. But uh, someday we will. And let me just say, I will not take it easy on you at all. Just so you know that. I all right, coming up, um, we we got you know still some fallout from the World Cup, which is kind of getting some some bad bad situation. I think even even getting worse. So we'll discuss that and. Uh, See what's up with Jess and uh, what's the latest thing she baked and how good that was as well. Okay, Mike, while you were off last week dealing with your travel situation, I talked to Charlotte Wilder on this show about the fallout of Spain winning the World Cup and all of the just massive cluster that is the situation with their federation president who we saw on TV live kissing a player on Spain's team after they were being awarded all the medals and trophies after the World Cup. so Man, that was at, weird. Very weird. I, I mean, at the time, watched it live, thought it was really weird. And sure enough, everyone else thought it was weird too. So last week I said on the show that the latest update was that Jenny Hermoso, who's a player for Spain, released a statement saying that it was a sign of affection and that it was mutual and spontaneous. And so Charlotte and I both were like, mm, we still think it's pretty weird, but okay. And sh sure enough, Mike, update, she did not put out any such statement. It came out after we recorded that the Spanish Federation actually fabricated this statement, according to sources, and wow. that was not her interpretation. She was not happy about it. So since that happened, there has been massive fallout from the story. Currently, Rubiales, the president, has been suspended by FIFA for 90 days, but the, the rest of the Spanish Federation uh, does not want to let him go. And there is now, he had a press conference where he said he's never going to resign. And the very latest is that now his mom is saying she's going to go on hunger strike until the witch hunt over her son's action ends. And in the meantime, all of the Spanish players, 80 Spanish players have said they will, they will not play for the Spanish team while he is still in charge. And players all over the world are wearing armbands uh, at soccer games, supporting Jenny Hermoso. They say contigo Jenny, which means like we're with you, Jenny. Um, so this is an absolute like insane story. And I, I don't know where it goes from here because it sounds like it's not just this one guy, right? It's all the people backing him up including his mom who are supporting him and saying that this is absurd and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, every player on the team has said, no, this needs to change. I don't know what you have to burn the whole thing down. I suppose. I don't know what you can even do at this point 
to make the sides meet, that's not going to happen. So it is absolutely crazy. And the craziest thing is that this team won the World Cup, the biggest award in sports, less than two weeks ago. And this is what we're all talking about now because this guy could not just behave appropriately and had to go and, and do all of this and then double and triple and quadruple down on it. So I feel terrible for, the, for all the players. Uh, I feel terrible for just all the fans. I mean, this should be like the happiest month of their lives. Like they should be celebrating. They should get all of the credit and the accolades. And instead they're in the middle of a war now with their federation. So first thing I would say is I can't think of anything where if I wanted to fight something for one of my kids or my wife, I mean, listen, I would back him 100% like his mom is doing. I get that. And your mom and me being the dad or the, or the, the husband to, to back my kid. I would never choose a hunger strike. I like food too much. I mean, I just I couldn't go down that road. They say, well, how are you going to show your, your backing for your kids or for your wife? And I said, not by a hunger strike. I'll pick something else. I'll do something else. I ain't not eating. That's for sure. Not happening. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's very bizarre. It seems a bit dramatic and a bit, um, a bit like you're, you know, what, what are you really standing for in this situation? Like you said, I understand like you're supporting your kid, but your kid obviously did something wrong, whether by your standards, maybe not, but by everyone else's standards on this team. Yes. So like, it's a little bizarre and it is it is a very weird twist in all of this. Um, but I again, like I truly don't know where we go from here. Like I don't I aside from the leaders in the sport being like, you're done, leave, I don't yeah. know how they can repair the situation. And well, right he has now, to go. They haven't done that. Yeah. He ha he has to go. And the longer that takes, the worse they all look. I mean, trying yeah. to couch it any other way of where well, we're going to educate people about this and we're going to blah, blah, blah. He has to go. I mean, what, what, what do they say? Um, his refusal to quit led 11 members of the Spain's women's team staff to resign. I mean, yeah. And, and as you just mentioned, the, the, yeah. the backing of the, of other women on the other teams, he, this is a, this is about a big a no brainer as there is of the yeah. effect this has had on people. And, 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 the people running this, overseeing it, look f more foolish every day that they don't, they don't force the resignation or fire or whatever they have to do to get rid of this guy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm stunned it's even this much of an issue and that hasn't been, that hasn't been resolved already with, with, with kind of where it's gone with the other women. It, I agree. It is totally bizarre and backwards, and, and I guess that's where we are. So I wanted to provide an update on that. As far as updates on baking, I have not baked anything lately as we've been in Ireland, but guess what? It's Labor Day weekend, Mike. I'm about to make some sort of pie, maybe a pie bar. I know you don't like warm fruit, but that's what I'm thinking. No, no, I'll send I you know. a picture if you were, If you were to make something from Ireland, where you were, if you had any of the sweets there, is there something that stood out to you that you would have liked to have tried? I had the best poppy seed, passion fruit, iced little muffin cake. I've ever had in my life at a place in Dublin called Brew Lab. Mike, if you ever go back, go try this little muffin. I'm going to attempt to make it at some point. I discovered this week, A, I love Ireland. B, I love poppy seeds.
So, but it's got fruit in it. I'm going to give it a shot if you make it, Jess. You would just like it, because, trust me. It's, it's yeah. just so much sugar. It's just so yeah. much sugar. You well, would love it. Me, it's just a me and sugar, sugar are big fans from one another, so uh, wonderful. Exactly. All right, Jess, I, I wait with bated breath and hungry stomach.